10.30, how are you guys? Good? Hey, you know, I, I get a question often, but I don't know why. So maybe you guys could help me out, all right? People always want to know if I play basketball. And I'm like, do I have a jersey on? Like, what is it about me that prompts this question? But I, I knew there was something about me when I realized that my wife never gets the question. Um, it, and if, for those of you that don't know my wife, she's 4'11", and, uh, and I'm 6'5". So. But for me, it, honestly, it's interesting the assumption that people make based on my height. Um, I don't play that often anymore, but whenever I would show up to a, to a basketball court, to a new basketball court, and there were people there that didn't know me, I, you know, it, it would always happen. I would usually get picked pretty early when they were choosing teams. <laughs> Seriously. And, and, you know, I don't know what it was. They, you know, they were assuming based on my height, my sneakers, or my build, or something that, the, that I was either good or that the game would come easier to me. And it's not the case. It, you know, it, it's... It, you know, I would just stay there quiet, but I felt bad for them because I, I can't play. You know, I, I can't play. I was just there for the exercise. Um, I, I'm not totally useless, right? I could run up and down the court. I could grab a couple rebounds. Um, I could maybe make one out of five layups, uh, but that's about it. But time and time again, what I saw was that I was being chosen over other people that had greater skill because of false assumptions. And that's a category of how we are chosen or how we choose. But there's another category. What usually happens or what we hope happens is that we choose or we are chosen because we actually are the best candidate. And this is the category that we love to live in, right? Uh, and and for, for many of you, you, this is familiar territory. You, you graduated at the top of your class. You are a specialist or an expert at your field, at your company. Many of you are standout athletes or musicians. And so for you to get chosen... It wasn't based on false assumptions. You, you were the real deal. You are the real deal. But there's one more category. And this is a category that I believe is set aside for God himself and for people who are God-like. You see, because God doesn't tend to choose the best candidate. He's not after going for the best candidates. You see, to use his own words, he's drawn to the sick, not the healthy. He's the one that's willing to leave the 99 to go after the one that's straight away. And I know this is going to sound cheesy, but God doesn't have 99 problems. He has one problem, but let me tell you this. His heart beats, his heart breaks for that one. And might I suggest that any of us, that each of us that feels far away from God today, we are that one. We are that one that he chooses to go after. I don't know about you, but I tend to forget this. It's hard for me to receive this. And that usually happens when I allow my feelings of unworthiness to cloud my judgment. I project what I feel about myself unto God. Am I the only one? I start to believe more the script that I tell myself that God doesn't want anything to do with me rather than hearing and believing what God has already spoken about me. Many, many of you have heard this quote before by Samuel Johnson. He says, people need, to re- people need to be reminded more often than they need to be instructed. 
People need to be reminded more often than they need to be instructed. Can I just tell you up front, many of you are not going to hear anything new today. But allow me to remind you of a simple but great truth, and that is that you are chosen by God. You are chosen by God. And again, it's not because of what we have achieved or how good we are or because we are better than others. Nor is it because God is unaware of who we truly are as if he were blind to our shortcomings. No, but we are chosen because of how great the love of God is for us. We are chosen because of who he is, not because of who we are. God has a category all on his own of how and who he chooses. And that's what I want us to look at today. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to read verses 4 through 10. I want us to check out what Peter has to say regarding this idea of being chosen. And if you will, please stand as we read God's word this morning. First Peter chapter 2, verse 4. And it says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders, builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have re- received mercy. You may be seated. Pray that God's word will speak to us this morning. All right, so Peter's letter was written to specific churches that were suffering great persecution. All right, it's full of encouragement and instruction on how to live as exiles, hence the name of our series. And this is what basically Peter is saying throughout the letter. He's, he's saying, you are in this world, but you're not of this world. You belong to another kingdom. You belong to another king. That's what Ben was saying last week. And because of that truth, you should live differently than the rest of the world. You should live holy lives. And so the pattern that we see in Paul's letter, and and it's practically a pattern that we see throughout all of the New Testament letters, is that first we are told what is true of us or of God, and then we are told what to do with that truth. First comes the statement of fact, and then comes the command or instruction. So in, in this passage that we just read, these seven verses, we find no instruction, No instruction whatsoever. If you read through this section again, you will see that Peter is not telling us anything about how to live. There's no action step for us. Rather than first telling us what to do, he's telling us who we are. He's telling us who we are. He's setting aside doing for a moment so that he can focus on being. Being. He's focused on our identity. It's like uh, the, the Moana song. Any Moana fans? In the, my kids would be yelling and screaming right now. No. But he, he is saying, this is who you are, church. This is who you are. Do you know who you are? 
Do you know who you are? Because until we know who we are, we won't be able to do what we have been called and created to do. We need to know who we are. And I'm, and I'm the first to admit, I'm the first to admit, it's so hard for us to set aside doing so that we can then focus on being. In fact, based on how many of us, and based on how busy some of us are, what our lives commun- communicate is, who are we if we're not doing? Doing is what makes me somebody. And it's so easy, it's so tempting for us to get our value from what we produce and from what we achieve. But let me ask you a question. What happens when we stop producing and achieving at a high level? What happens to our value at that point? It suffers. It takes a hit. So we have to find our identity in something or someone else. And it has to be something that's not temporary. So we're going to look at a case study. We're going to look at Jesus. It's interesting to see the moment that Jesus has his identity conferred upon him. And it's interesting because it's, it wasn't after he fed the multitudes. It wasn't after he raised Lazarus from the dead. It wasn't after he himself died and resurrected. No, it was right before. Not after anything, but right before he started his ministry. It happened the moment he was being baptized and a voice from heaven said, This is my son with whom I am well pleased. He hadn't done one miracle. He hadn't preached one message. But yet he heard from God the Father, this is my son and I am pleased with him. And I believe that Jesus lived out of that identity. He wasn't doing things in order to earn an identity or to create one. He was secure in being the precious son of God. Now some of you are thinking, well that's good for him, but I'm not Jesus though. Right? I haven't lived this perfect life. My life has a lot more bumps and bruises that I've accumulated over time. And I'm with you on that. But the question still stands, who are you? Who are you? In what or who is your identity rooted in? You see, I believe Peter in this passage, he's giving us our baptism moment. He's given us our baptism moment. He's actually giving us an identity that we can root our lives in. But it's not about anything you have done, but it's about who you belong to. Who you belong to. I'm going to get into that a little bit more, but there's one more thing that we need to see about why this identity thing is so important. Peter, in verse 4, he begins this section by saying that Jesus is the living stone. He's the living stone. And then in verse 5, he says, you also are like living stones. And he's doing this intentionally, right? For us to see that we are like Christ, that we are similar to him. But in between these two statements, he tells us that Jesus was rejected by humans, but chosen by God. Now, this is not a coincidence. This is not a throwaway statement. This is not something that we should just glance over. He is saying this because he wants his original audience to identify with Jesus' experience. You see, we know this, right? Jesus was popular. He was well-known, but he wasn't respected or, or welcomed by the establishment. He was rejected by humans throughout his entire earthly ministry, especially in those final days. And Peter's audience, the churches he's writing to, were suffering great persecution because of their faith. 
They were being rejected by their neighbors. They were being rejected by their family members. They were being rejected by the government, all because of their faith in Jesus. That's a cool ringtone. They were being rejected. And Jesus is making that connection. I mean, Peter's making that connection. Jesus was rejected too. But Peter wanted them to know that there was one that didn't reject them. There was one that didn't reject them. No, God chose them and they were precious to him just as Jesus was chosen and precious to God. And the same goes for us. Now, I know that we don't deal with persecution the way Peter's audience was dealing with it, if at all, right? But I believe that the point that Peter is trying to bring home to them and to us is that God's acceptance is greater than any human acceptance or rejection that we could ever experience. God's acceptance is greater than any human acceptance or rejection that we could ever experience. Peter is trying to make sure that the words of praise or rejection that we receive from people does not drown out or overwhelm the voice of God saying yes to us. He wants us to value the voice of God more than any human voice that we hear. But in our culture, or because of our human nature, we are constantly looking for affirmation. We are constantly looking for affirmation. It's as if we want to be legitimized. We want to know that we have value, that we have meaning, and so we pursue more things. We pursue more success, more money, more pleasure. But as many of you have discovered, and if you haven't yet, you will, it's never enough. You will never receive enough of any of it. You won't. But we give such a significant voice to all of those things. But here's what we need to remember. The most significant voice has already chosen us. It's already spoken, and he doesn't change his mind. He doesn't change his mind. Do, do you know that there's going, to, there's going to be a day that even if you are the most qualified person in your company today, the day will come when they won't choose you. You won't always get the promotion. You won't always win the case or the customer. You won't always make the right decision. And Peter's like, that's okay. That's okay. Whether people are singing your praises or casting you aside as done, whether your bank account has a lot or a little, as long as you remember who you are and whose you are, as crazy as it may sound to some of you, it won't phase you. It won't phase you. You can still stand firm because you're standing on the living stone, which is immovable. And I believe that to my core. We all are rooting our identity in something, in something or someone. Peter is telling us, make sure it's the living stone. There's... How do we do this? How do we, how, do we, how do we become a chosen people? 
There's something really interesting about being chosen. It's that we have a say in it. We have a say on whether or not we get chosen. And, and, and this is typical, right? It, it, if you get chosen for a job, it's usually because you threw your name in the hat and you sent in your resume. We can play a role on whether we are chosen or not. I, imagine if I were to say, hey, I need, I need five volunteers, right? I, I make the call, but you can help in me choosing you by raising your hand. That helps the process. I make the call, but you decide. You can help me decide who gets chosen. And I think Peter's making a similar point in this section, but he's using the imagery of the stone. As we saw earlier, Jesus is described as a stone, the living stone. And then, though, Peter goes on to quote three Old Testament passages. The first is meant for those that believe in Jesus. And this is what it says in verse 6 and the first part of verse 7. It says, for in scriptures, it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a choice and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe the stone is precious. The stone is precious to those who believe. But then he switches his attention to those who don't believe. But he continues with the same imagery of the stone. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Peter is saying that Jesus is a stone for everyone. He is a stone for everyone. In essence, everyone is called by God to step into a relationship and life with him. Everyone is called, but there are some that reject him, but others that put their trust in him. And it's only those that believe in him who are chosen. And as Jesus said, many are called, but few are chosen. And it's our faith in Jesus that determines that. It's our faith in Jesus that determines. Many are called, but few are chosen. Will we respond to the call? Will we respond to God's call? And, and don't miss this other point that Peter is making. He's saying that everyone is building. Every single person is building. Everyone has a cornerstone or a foundation on which they are building their lives. And here, here's a question um, that you can ask yourself to know what you're building your life on to know what your cornerstone or your foundation is. This is by Tim Keller. He says, when the chips are down, what do you look to for your vindication? When the chips are down, meaning when things are going wrong, what do you say? Do you say, well, I'm a good parent? Or do you say, but I'm a moral person. I'm a spiritual person. Or do you say, well, I've made it. I'm a lawyer or I'm a doctor. I've made it in Silicon Valley, or I've made it in San Francisco. What do you say to yourself in those moments? What Keller is saying is that however you defend yourself when things are tough, that's your cornerstone. That's your cornerstone. Let me put it another way. What do you look to to let you know that everything's going to be okay? What do you look to when things are going tough, things are going wrong? What do you look to to let you know it's going to be okay? Do you look to Jesus or do you look to something else or someone else? We have a say if we are chosen, but in that decision, we have to choose Jesus. 
He has to be precious to us. He has to be precious to us. There's something special about being chosen. And, and as I was thinking through this message and um, thinking about all the different categories of how and why we choose, um, I started to ask myself, is it possible to choose once the decision has already been made? Right? Is it, is it possible to choose once the decision has been made? And I realized that B and I, we do this in our relationship, right? For it, we could be hanging out, we could be in the house, and all of a sudden, you know, we would look at each other and we'll say, you know what? I'll marry you again. And that's our way of saying, I would choose you again. I know that the decision has already been made, but I'll do it again. It's us reminding each other that we made a decision and we would do it over and over again. I don't know where I got this from, but from, um, I, I know it's not an original thing that I started. Um, but from time to time when I'm putting my, my boys down, I'll... I'll Come to them, I say, honor, I say, noble. If, if God would let me pick any boy in the world, any boy in the world for me to be his dad and for me to parent him and for me to take care of him, you know what, guys? I, I would choose you. I would choose you. And they look at me like, what are you talking about? Can God really do that? Like, but I, I, I want my kids to know that not only do I love them, like all parents love their kids, and kids feel that, right? They know that we're supposed to love them. I want them to know that I like them, that I like being around them, that it's a privilege to be able to parent them and spend time with them. And the amazing thing about this all is that God looks at us and he says, I choose you. I choose you. Each and every single one of us. Peter, in verse 9, he brings up again that we are a chosen people, right? In, 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 in the midst of saying all these other things, which is actually a direct quote from Exodus 19, 5, 6. And Peter does this throughout his, his letter. He's always pointing back to the Old Testament. And what Peter is saying to us is, if you have put your trust in Jesus, what was true for them is true for you. So that's why he says, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. What was true for them, it's true for you. You're a son of Abraham. But I'm so thankful that he said you are a chosen people and you're not a choice people. You see, to pick the choice fruit would be to pick those of very good quality. We're a chosen people, not a choice people. And I don't mean to be self-deprecating, but there is nothing choice about me. Nothing at all. I'm not of good quality, but that's okay because I'm still chosen. And I, and I believe, I, I didn't say this at the 9 o'clock, but I believe we need to be a church that tells others, you're chosen. No matter what the world may think of you, you're chosen. And, and Peter even brings that out. Um, in those first couple of verses where he says, you are also like living stones being built up into a spiritual house. Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the foundation, but we are being built up one on top of the other, meaning we need one another. If one brick is taken out of any building, it could ca cause the whole wall to collapse. We need one another. 
And we need to tell people that you are welcome just as you are. I, I ran across a quote in studying for this by Robin Williams. Robin Williams said, um, as, you, as most of you know, he committed suicide. But Robin Williams said, I used to think that um, the worst thing in the world was to be alone. And he said, no, the worst thing in the world is to be around people that make you feel alone. No one should ever come through these doors and feel alone and feel rejected and not chosen. We should be a community that says you are chosen, you are welcome, regardless of race, gender, um, socioeconomic class, it doesn't matter. You are chosen people. That's our mandate. I know some of you hate when we do the meet and greet. Being an introvert, I hate it too. But that should be your favorite part. <laughs> to look someone in the eyes and say, I'm so glad you're here. We should never let or use our goodness or lack of it to measure if we are chosen or not. You're not called because you are good. No. When you accept God's call, then he gives you the grace so that you can be good and do the things that he's called you to do. But you're not called because you're good. As one pastor says, Mark Batterson from um, National Community Church in D.C., he says, God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. I want you to also check out what Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1.26. He says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were. Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. I love that last phrase. God chose the discarded. God chose the lowly things so that no one may boast before him. Now, I know that many of you went to some of the best schools in the country. You have achieved great success. You are well-respected in your field, and you have earned a lot of money in a short period of time. I know that to be true of many of you. But it's always interesting for me to see how hesitant many of you are in regards to spiritual matters. It's almost as if you want to master Christianity or Jesus or the spiritual life just as you've mastered everything else in your life. And you don't know what to do with it. So I see people constantly like, oh, I haven't wrapped my head around all of it. You never will. And people are hesitant to take next steps in their faith. I'm not saying you should go into it blindly, but they're hesitant to even take elementary steps like baptism. Baptism in the scriptures, you see, message was preached, man, I believe in Jesus, get baptized. But it's rarely the case. Christianity is not something that you master, but it's allowing Jesus to master you. It's allowing Jesus to take control of the steering wheel and you surrendering to his guidance. That's what this is about. You're not going to dominate it the way you've dominated everything else. The best, the best way I, I, I can illustrate what I'm, what I'm trying to say in regards to letting it 
control you and you surrendering to it is, is by having you imagine a, a river, a river that has a strong current, right? Just picture this river, you're in front of it, has a strong current. If you step into that river ankle high, you're still good. You could stand, still stand firm and, and you, you have control. But as you begin to go deeper and deeper from knee high then to waist high, it gets a little bit harder to stabilize yourself, to, to balance yourself. And I believe that the spiritual life, the, the, the life that God is calling us to is he's saying, just jump in and let that current take you downstream. Let me guide you. And I, I just the thought of it, it's, that's a scary thing. It's a scary thing, but it's probably the most exhilarating place that you can be when you put your entire trust in God and you let him guide your life. And that's what God is calling us to. Some of us, I can't even say I'm in that surrender. Some of us are ankle high. Some of us are knee high, waist high. Some of us are still on the shore. And we all just need to take one step forward wherever we are. I love the the crazy one that's willing to jump in head first, but it's not what I'm asking of you today. It's not what God is asking. Just take one step forward. One step forward from where you are today. As I close, I want to close just the way that Peter closes this section in his letter. In verse 10, Peter uses a direct quote from the prophet Hosea. He says, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The story of Hosea is so interesting. He was a prophet, right, who spoke on behalf of God. His story and his writings can be found in the Old Testament. But God chose to speak through Hosea, not just through his words, but also through his life. God told Hosea to marry a prostitute. And if that wasn't bad enough, her name was Gomer. And if your name is Gomer, I'm sorry, right? (laughs) He's he's probably more embarrassed of the name than the fact that she was a prostitute. But anyway. But he told told Hosea to marry a prostitute. And all of this was to serve as a picture to the nation of Israel and to us, the church of God, saying, I want you to be my bride. I want to have a close and intimate relationship with you. Even if it's the most unusual of pairings, I have love for you. What appears to the world as discarded, God says, I choose you. But here's the kicker. After Hosea marries Gomer and they have kids, she ends up going back to prostituting herself. I'm telling you, if you don't read your Bible you're missing out on some crazy stories. You need to read your Bible. She goes back. God says to Hosea, go after her again. Go after her again. There he is again, God, choosing to go after the one that drifted away. God's love is relentless. Relentless. Do you feel far from God today? Can I just remind you, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, can I, can I just remind you that you are chosen and precious to him?
You're chosen and precious to him. He's not mad at you. His mercy and grace is too great. The Bible says that where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. So if there's this much sin, there's a little bit more grace to cover it. Where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. Some of you might be thinking, man, he's making it seem like it's okay for me to be a mess. Come back next week, all right? (laughs) Next week, we're going to look at Peter quoting God who says, be holy because I am holy. But But again, remember the pattern, remember the structure. First, we need to know who we are so that then we can live out what we are instructed or commanded to live. And this is who we are. We are a chosen people. It's okay to be a mess. It's okay to be a mess, but it's not okay to stay a mess. Especially when God died on the cross to pick you up out of that mess. And for those of you, if today you say you find yourself on the shore, God is calling you to take a step in, to get into the river, to put your trust in him. You're building your life on something. God says, build it on my son, the living stone, Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. God, we we thank you for your great love. God, it's a love that we truly can't understand or comprehend or wrap our heads around, God. As, as, the, as we learn in the Bible, in the scriptures, it, it's, your love is just way too deep, way too high, way too long, way too wide. We will never be able to um, discover all of it, but God, we know that your love surrounds us. God, I thank you for that picture of how you leave the 99 to go after the one of how you choose what is discarded, what is um, rejected by others. You don't choose the best, God. But you choose those who are broken, those who are sick, those who are hurting. And God, I thank you for that today. And I pray that we will step into your love today. And for those of, that are here today that are taking the first step towards you that they've ever taken in their lives, God, I pray that you will receive them. I pray that they will self-identify and let us know the church of their step and their decision so that we can support them and encourage them along their path. God, I pray that you will remind us of this message, of your great love for us, of your great mercy, and that you will help us live out the life that you've called us to live. Let us be a a reminder to one another. Let us always be a church that welcomes everyone, God, and says you are welcomed here and you are chosen. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen and amen. Let us stand as the band leads us in another song of worship. If, um, if for the first time today you're making a decision to take a step closer to Jesus or you want to learn more about what that means, please let us know. You can do that on your communication card or you can do that with one of the staff or volunteers that are going to be outside as you head out. But I want to thank you for being here. and. I want you to just let this message continue to sink in. Where is your foundation? Where is your identity? And if it's not Jesus, make him precious. Choose him because you are chosen. 
Let us worship.